When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There were no opportunities for me to to collaborate or to perform. And so I really thought like, okay, this is this is finally the end of my drumming career. And Hello and welcome to another episode of Live Through That. I'm your host, Mike Hipple, and on this podcast, we'll dig a little deeper into a pivotal moment into the lives of some of my favorite artists from the 80s and 90s. And today, I'm so pleased to have Frida Love Smith on the podcast. She's most well known for her being a founder and drummer of the Blake Babies. She's also been in several other bands, including Mysteries of Life, Some Girls, and my personal favorite outside of the Blake Babies, Antenna. These days, she's a noted writer and just released her second book, I Quit Everything. I think it's only natural that we talk about quitting on today's episode. I want to talk about how I quit everything as documented in my book a few years ago. But but before I describe that experience, that experiment, I do like I want to acknowledge the fact that I'm honestly like I'm an inveterate quitter. I am a pro quitter. I've been trying to quit things or successfully quitting things for my whole life. And when I was working on this book and I was telling friends about it, oh, you know, I'm writing about how I quit everything as if it were like this whole new thing. A, a lot of people, people who knew me well were like, oh, like I remember when you quit caffeine in the 80s or I remember like four times when you quit drinking. And even though I think there is something different about this more recent round of quitting, maybe it was it was more intentional in some ways. It, it ended up being more consequential. But the truth is that I'm a quitter. I've been a quitter forever. It's kind of my it's kind of my greatest strength. Like the next time I have a job interview and they ask me what's your greatest strength, I'll say quitting. I'm super good at quitting. Um but but also when they ask me like what's your greatest weakness, I'll say quitting. But but anyway, like of all the the habits and relationships and addictions and jobs and practices that I've quit, there's there's one that I've quit the most, one with which I have, I think, a particularly fraught relationship. And that is absolutely, without a doubt, drumming. So yeah, the first time I quit drumming, it was in the middle of a Blake Babies tour. It was it was really near the end of it was kind of the dregs of the Blake Babies. And I was super sick at the time. I was kind of turning yellow. I was frustrated with the dynamic in the band, which was pretty negative at that moment. I was just fed up with everything. And so I got on a Greyhound bus in California. I left the Blake Babies opening for Firehose on a stretch of a tour. I left them to do that tour without me. And I think they flew Juliana's brother in to fill in on drums 
It was bad. I mean, actually, before that, I think George Hurley from Firehose filled in for at least one gig, which I think there's I think there's a video of that on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> I, I've never watched it. That's too weird. But um, but anyway, I quit. I left. But I ended up rejoining the band in Minneapolis a couple weeks later. I recovered from my illness. I cooled off a little bit. And I realized that like I left my bandmates in a really bad position. That's John Strom and Juliana Hatfield. So I met them in Minneapolis and I finished up the tour. That was like, again, like that was very near the end of the band. We'd already decided to break up, but we just kept playing to fulfill our obligations to the label and to kind of see things through but it was just a sort of dead man walking kind of feeling and it was all not fun and I I honestly figured that I would just completely quit drumming after we finally officially broke up I was thinking about finishing college I, I still didn't have a college degree at the time I was thinking about maybe moving to Athens Georgia which is this place that I'd totally fallen in love with on Blake Baby's tours when we went through there but I didn't end up doing either of those things, I, I actually ended up forming a new band right away. And that was Antenna with John Strom, who was my boyfriend at the time, who I was in the process of breaking up with. And the other core member of Antenna was Jake Smith, who is, he's my husband now <laughs> of 30 years. Um, so yeah, I quit that band multiple times. You can maybe, you can maybe guess why. <laughs> I was in a band with my ex-boyfriend and then my boyfriend at the time. I was in and out of the band. I kept coming back. And just a, a couple of years into Antenna's run, I got pregnant. Jake and I were expecting a baby. And I thought, like, this is definitely it. Like, I'm finally giving this thing up. Like, I'm finally quitting drumming. My life is taking me in a whole different direction. I'm going to have a baby now. And that's the thing that I'm going to be doing. And I felt a sort of relief in that moment that this fraught and complicated thing finally had a definitive end. And I mean, I think actually here might be a good time to offer some some hindsight analysis of my ambivalence about being a drummer. I think it's it's really important to all of this because on the one hand, I absolutely loved playing drums. Sometimes it was it was just like the most fun thing ever. It was rollicking and sweaty and and happy. And on that same hand, like I loved being a person in the band. Like I said, I liked being in that club and I loved songs. I've always loved music all my life. It's been one of the things that makes life worthwhile to me. And how amazing was it that I got to play and record songs. I got to make music that I cared about, that other people cared about. Well, sometimes other people cared about. And and like on that same hand, I did have something to offer as a drummer. I was a careful listener. I I tried to stay out of the way of a good song. I just wanted to be like a minimally noted organic part of a great song. And sometimes that did happen. But okay, but on to the other hand, drumming often did not feel good. It was a struggle for me. I've written about this a lot. You know, sometimes it would just drive me completely nuts, just like trying to catch a wave 
that I couldn't catch. Sometimes I just, I just completely sink. And I felt terrible about myself when I couldn't play well. I, I do have a musical mind. Like I have good musical taste. I knew what I wanted to sound like, but I just couldn't physically, technically pull it off a lot of time. And like on top of that, like being in the band, it can kind of be a drag. Like there's so much disappointment. There's a lot of struggle. There's boredom. There's frustration. Like, honestly, I think it would test anyone. So yeah, like I often found myself discouraged and tired of it. And I wanted to find something that I could be good at. So that like, that's part of the impetus for all of these like repeated, repeated quittings of leaving bands and and coming back. But like kind of back to like the antenna timeline, back to this, this period in my life when I was expecting a baby, it was my first child, Jonah. I thought I'm really going to quit. But then something surprising happened, which was that that my partner, who's now my husband, Jake, he started writing just these quiet, groovy, really wonderful songs just in the living room. And I felt I felt inspired to play along. It just felt completely natural, easy, organic, just like part of being home, part of just hanging out with my husband. And on top of that, like he encouraged me to not stress out about my technical limitations as a drummer, like the things that had really bummed me out and brought me down in the past. He's like, don't worry about hitting really hard or being super rock. Don't worry about embellishing the drumming. Just, you know, don't strain, just do what feels comfortable. And that was, that was kind of a revelation for me that definitely kind of opened up a whole new chapter for me in drumming. And and somehow because of that, because of all of that, like accidentally, we formed a band called the Mysteries of Life. And in a very surprising turn of events, like that band got signed to RCA. It was almost like an accidental record deal. And we ended up releasing two albums for RCA. Like they were not commercially successful really by any stretch, but I do still love those albums that we made. I'm really glad that that I got to have that experience. And, you know, at first it all had a pretty magical glow to it, the whole thing, because it wasn't something that we forced. It wasn't something that we even really went for. It was a thing that just seemed to kind of happen. Um, But eventually like those years became more complicated. Like when you're on a major label, you can't just like sit in the living room and play your songs. You have to get out there and you have to tour and you have to make it happen. And, and I had a baby, right? So, you know, we, we ended up bringing in a second drummer to the band since I couldn't always tour. I wasn't able to do that. Uh, And then that drummer was so much better than me. He was, he was amazing that that kind of brought back old insecurities. I just kind of wondered like, why am I even in this band? Like they don't need me. And so I even quit the mysteries of life a few times. Um, But I always came back. I always came back and that more active mysteries of life period of time, it was followed by what ended up being really like my busiest years as a drummer. It was just like a long stretch of time when I quit quitting drumming. I was in Bloomington, Indiana. At the time, I I played in this band called Gentleman Caller with the amazing Kenny Childers. I I started with some friends. I started this all-woman band called Lola. It was really fun. And the Blake Babies reunion 
happened around that period of time um, that resulted in God bless the Blake babies. And then out of that, like grew kind of a side project thing with Juliana called some girls. Like I was really busy. I was touring with a lot of these bands and this was, this was kind of a nice little golden age for me. That could have gone on for a while for me, but something happened, things happen. And the thing that happened was that Jake got an academic job in in England and we left Bloomington, we left the country and I left all of these bands, all of these projects that I had going. And I thought, okay, this is definitely it. Like I'm really truly done this time. I don't know anybody in England you know, drumming is a an instrument that requires collaborators. You can't just play drums by yourself. I mean, you can practice by yourself, but anyway, there's like no opportunities. Um, there were no opportunities for me to to collaborate or to perform. And so I really thought like, okay, this is this is finally the end of my drumming career. And we lived in England for for four years and I barely played at all that whole time. And then at the end of that stretch of time, we landed in Chicago, again, for work. Jake and I got jobs at Northwestern. So I think if we'd moved to maybe anywhere else in the world, the next part of my drumming story would be different. But the Chicago music scene was amazing, is amazing. And I met all these musicians. And it was the same kind of feeling of my early days where I was like, I want to be in the club. Like, I want to be part of this scene. I want to join the gang. And before too long, I formed a band with Dog Julian. He was in a band called The Slugs in the 90s. He plays in Poi Dog Pondering. And he has this really fabulous cover band in Chicago called Expo 76. They play all the time. So I formed a band with Dog and Jackie Schimmel, who is a bass player who's been in a lot of bands. She plays with Justin Roberts, who's a really, really well-regarded children's artist who's been nominated for a bunch of Grammys. Jackie's a great bass player. Um, but so yeah, I formed a band with Doc and Jackie called Sunshine Boys. And that name, I really like that name. It was um, a deliberate nod to the Neil Simon play, which became a film with George Burns, and Walter Matha. It's about aging vaudevillian performers and they're staging a reunion, a comeback, trying to declare just like one last little moment of relevance. <laughs> that turned out to be an apt band name for us. You know, it was kind of a joke, but it was also kind of not. Um, we were all in our 50s. It was sort of an unlikely period of time in our lives to be starting a new band and kind of tapping into almost that like energy that we had when we were in our 20s and we were first starting out. So it was all like very surprising and um, really delightful. We released two albums, we released a few singles. We built a nice following in Chicago and we even did a bit of touring. In fact, we did a couple little stretches opening up for Juliana Hatfield in the Midwest, which was which was so fun. It was like a really nice kind of full circle sort of moment. Um, now in that band, I gotta say, I really got a hold of the whole Midwestern work ethic. It's like it finally clicked for me. I think it's because I knew how lucky I was to have this opportunity to to form a new band at this stage in my life. And I just I didn't want to squander it. So we and we were we were like on the same page with this. Like we worked really hard. We 
were super diligent about practicing. Like we all loved to practice, which that doesn't always happen in bands. Some people just hate practicing, but we were all like, yes, let's work it all out. And we arranged our songs really carefully. We, we had super high standards in the studio. Like we just didn't really let anything slide that we didn't feel great about. I mean, Dog and Jackie and I, like we were truly simpatico and that made this all just all that much more of a pleasure and a, and a treat. Like we we knew that it was special. We knew that it was not something to take for granted. And and like much of the ambivalence that I talked about that I felt about drumming, like a lot of that just was kind of squeezed out during this period of time. Like I there I was so grateful. I was having so much fun being a sunshine boy that I just didn't really have room for the kind of doubts that used to overtake me and that honestly sometimes had crippled me in the past. I mean, I still I still often wished that I were better. I still had moments of low self-esteem about my drumming, but just not not as much and that was that was a relief. Honestly, like it was like it was a joy. I have to stop Frida here. I love her drumming and from my research, everybody else really likes her drumming as well. She's been in all these bands, and if she wasn't a good drummer, people wouldn't want her in their band. And I'm wondering about these insecurities, and maybe that's where some of the quitting thing comes from? I think there's something there. I think that that it does come from insecurity and from just these inner voices of doubt that can be really strong for me. And, and I think all artists, I think all creatives experience this, just these sort of negative, critical voices and i think there have been times in my life when it's just been really hard for me to push back against that and and why i couldn't believe if if someone said that they liked my drumming like i almost couldn't even believe it so i mean in some ways like i might be a more extreme example of this but i do think that it's something that that anyone that does music or any kind of creative work has to navigate the inner critic and mine has just been pretty pretty loud at times. Well, I think there was like something about this experience of of being in the Sunshine Boys where a thing that helped me push back against that inner critic was that I did really finally feel like I was working as hard as I possibly could, that I couldn't blame laziness, you know, or a lack of intention on my plane that I was like, again, I'll never be like one of the world's great drummers and that's okay. But I'm really at this point in my life, I'm finally taking it as far as I can. I'm finally putting in the hours, putting in the work to be like the best drummer that I can within with whatever physical and technical limitations that I have. And so that helped me. So I think in the past, like the part of the voices, the the critical voices were also reminding me of the fact that not only are you not good, but you're not even trying. You're not even trying enough. And so at least with Sunshine Boys, I felt like, okay, I am trying. And that made a huge difference for me. And just when Frida feels comfortable in her skills, she quits drumming too. Yeah, like, you know, kind of, yeah, at the same time that I, I finally got myself into this better place. And I should say, like, I was able to enjoy that for years. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, it got cut short necessarily, or not extremely, didn't cut, get, didn't get extremely cut short. Because yeah, at the same time that I was having this experience in the Sunshine Boys, like my aging joints were starting to, to speak to me. I, I actually injured my back pretty severely 
I, I ended up needing surgery for that injury. And like, I just started to think that just like simply physically that my days as a rock drummer were numbered. And like all of that kind of brings us to March, 2020. And this time I quit drumming, you know, we all quit doing everything. <laughs> like I wasn't allowed to leave my apartment. Right. And like, that was a really disorienting switch because then this decision to quit was at least, you know, at least temporarily it was made for me. There, there was no choice. Like all the gigs were off and I was just stuck at home. Like most of us. Um, and that kind of brings me to like the timeline of my book. I quit everything, which starts like about 10 months into the pandemic. So I was in, I was in a bad place. I was in a bad place mentally and physically. I was drinking a lot, like many of us. I was eating a lot. I was scrolling mindlessly on social media a lot. And that's when I decided to quit everything, the, the experiment that, that my new book documents. So I gave up booze and sugar social media, caffeine, and weed. And I wrote about the process of withdrawal, I wrote about the process of, of readjustment. And it, it wasn't easy. It was not easy to give these things up. Like these were all the coping mechanisms that I'd been relying on during the pandemic. This was all the stuff that was like helping me get through. And I, I, I just like threw it all out the window and I just kind of went through like a string of identity crises. And this is all documented kind of chapter by chapter in the book, like all of these habits, all these addictions had become like way more than I realized had become fundamental to my sense of self. And as I stripped them away one at a time, I had to go through a process of, I don't know, like mourning of loss and and rebuilding i mean like like in the example of of alcohol like i didn't even realize just how automatically i turned to alcohol especially like in times of of mourning or loss or sadness or stress or difficulty like without even thinking about it just on automatic like i would go to go to alcohol to help me feel a little less you know to numb my feelings just to kind of ease my way through hard times. And, but, but also like I turned to it at times of celebration at good times. It's like, I, I finished my MFA during the pandemic and creative writing and like, Oh, like I can't open a bottle of champagne. Like I can't have a beer. I can't pour a whiskey. And how, how do I even celebrate? Like it was super destabilizing to just navigate the ups and downs of life without just being this thing that I had habitually turn to again and again. And, and social media was kind of similar too. I mean, I, I write in the book about almost feeling like I didn't exist when I wasn't on social media and, and asking questions like, geez, like if a, if a great thing happens and I don't post about it on social media, like, did it even happen? Do I even exist if I'm not posting and commenting and on, on social media? Like we are naturally social creatures and we want to connect. And that is that's kind of how we do it these days. And during the pandemic, that was, you know, we were limited to that to a large extent. So yeah, it was just, it was super destabilizing. It was, it's a very like weird 
and challenging experience, but it ended up being just deeply beneficial. Like ultimately it gave me a sense of calm, a little bit more calm, um, a little bit more clarity, a little bit of perspective. And I needed that, you know, it just, it just kind of woke me up a little bit. It helped me to not move so much on automatic pilot through, through my life to not just like carry on doing things because I had been doing them, but just to kind of have a little space to think and to make conscious decisions about what I wanted to do. And like, there was, there was great benefit in that and just kind of pushing through the kind of entropy that I'd settled into. Okay. But I also felt like when when I kind of got to the end of that first part of the the experiment, so to speak, which I thought was going to be the main story. I thought that was like the bulk of the book, but it it ended up like not being the end of the story because I I hit this point where I was like, okay, like I, I feel a little better and I lost a few pounds and I sleeping better and, you know, have a kind of a greater sense of, of freedom. But I also felt like I hadn't quit enough things. Like I I joke in the book about how I, I realized I was addicted to quitting. I hadn't made like enough substantial change in my life and and like some of the things that needed changing were around my job so I I was frustrated with my academic job which I'd had for 10 years and I'd been wanting to quit it for a few years but I just felt pretty stuck I felt like that wasn't an option that I had and like when I really listened to myself and listened to my body which like I said had been speaking to me already like I knew that it was time it was really time to let go of drumming and to invest more of my creative energy in writing and other pursuits that weren't going to, to cripple me physically. So, and this is part of the book too. I decided to quit drumming one last time, but it felt really different this time. It just had like a totally different feeling and texture. Cause I, I wasn't quitting out of frustration or disappointment, or any kind of bitterness, or or even low self esteem. Like, in fact, I was, you know, I was in like a slightly different state of mind, like a newfound place with some clarity, some self awareness, and and it occurred to me at some point that I wasn't quitting drumming; I was retiring. I was going to retire from drums, and I think retiring just sounds. I don't know. To me, anyway, it sounds so much more positive. Retirement is celebrated, right? A retiree is honored for their accomplishments. And that's what I wanted. I realized, like, that's really what I wanted. I wanted my gold watch. I found this concept interesting because in our society, quitting is often seen as a negative thing. There's this sort of moment when we're coming out of the most lockdown part of the pandemic when, like, quitting was actually really hot, and I think part of it was just this this cultural realization that we could make different kinds of choices. You know, there was this sort of massive trend of people quitting their jobs. I mean, and, and that, like, I was completely lined up with that. Like, when I did end up quitting my academic job of 10 years, there were, like, like tens or maybe hundreds of thousands of people in the United States were quitting their jobs. So I think that that my like wanting to take the idea of quitting and frame it as a positive thing ended up being like aligned with this cultural moment at the time of people 
questioning, like, you know, questioning grit just for the sake of grit, perseverance just for the sake of perseverance, that, you know, maybe we could all take a hard look at, at the decisions we were making about our livelihoods and other aspects of, you know, other aspects of our existence and, and make some different kinds of decisions, just like take a fresh look at everything. Um, so no, I think my, I think my publisher thought that it was kind of a funny, a funny title, which I do too, because like no one, no one can really quit everything. And, and even like if you read the book, one of the later chapters is called I Quit Quitting. So it really plays around with it. And yeah, and where I land on drumming is even not with the word quitting, but with this word retiring, which felt much more positive and appropriate when it came to quitting this thing that I have, like I said earlier, quit more times than anything in my life. I didn't think that this this book was going to set up, you know, set out to have anything to do with my drumming career, but it it actually it actually ends with with my final gig. So that was kind of kind of a nice surprise. I you know, and it and it is always a fun thing when you're writing something and you don't really know where you're going to end up and you just kind of go along for the ride and see where you land. Um but you know, even though like I didn't I I don't think of this necessarily as a book about the end of my my drumming career. It's it's absolutely wrapped up wrapped up in it because honestly it was like only through quitting everything that I was really able to plan this this graceful exit from my what was it 36 year musical career so it's like I, I feel like I couldn't have had that 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 happy ending that kind of high note that I got to go out on I couldn't have had that if I hadn't had a chance to just gain this greater perspective I mean I just think there's like so much value in resisting this tendency, this very human tendency to just kind of sleepwalk through our days. Like, I mean, I think in the past, many of the times that I had quit and I returned to drumming, it was sort of on automatic. It was just like, oh, it was there. It's something I'd always done. I guess this is just a thing that I'll always do. And, And there wasn't always a lot of intention in it. And sometimes there was, but sometimes there wasn't. And so now, like, I feel great about my retirement. And a lot of these feelings of like inadequacy that I've had in the past and like embarrassment um, and and self-doubt, like a lot of that just feels very small now. It feels pretty insignificant when I, I hold them next to all these records that I've made that I'm proud of and all the amazing musicians, oh my God, that I've been lucky enough to work with. And just the like the joy that I've experienced in being able to create music and a lot of music that I that I truly love and it's always gonna be there. So the other stuff, the hard stuff, yeah, it kind of shrinks in comparison. But I just don't think I could have gotten to this point without going through that process of shedding all of those other habits. It just it just gave me some space. And finally, I'm curious, what's the one thing that you wouldn't quit? What what would I never quit? What would I never quit? Well, this might not be a very interesting answer, but um, (laughs) I'm not even sure about this. But, you know, near the end of the book, when I, I start to 
introduce some of the some of the things that I quit temporarily. I bring cannabis gummies back into my life and I kind of come to the conclusion that I have a weed deficiency in my brain and that that cannabis is actually, you know, in small doses pretty medicinal for me like I find it really helpful and I can't really see any reason why I shouldn't have that in my life. I d- I have found that I feel a lot happier without alcohol and I'm not strictly sober. I've started calling myself 99% sober because I want to have the freedom to have a drink every now and then, but I barely drink anymore. And which which is a, kind of amazing to me still, just when I think about just how much of a part of my life it has been for so much of my life. Um, but I also write in the book about how I like, I am a person who I, I like to get high. I think some people are just wired a little bit more that way. And so I feel like I found a pretty nice compromise in low dose cannabis gummies where I can kind of control the dose and I have a pretty good sense of what the effects are going to be. And it just, it takes the edge off in a really nice way for me without making me feel dysfunctional, without making me make terrible, horrible mistakes, without making me wake up in the morning with a brutal hangover and and uh you know a wave of self of self-loathing like it just seems it seems like a really nice um a nice way to experience intoxication without a lot of the terrible consequences that i've suffered from other substances in the past so i feel like i'm kind of a lifer when it comes to weed which is thankfully legal for recreational use in my state i think it's it's incredible that it, that's not the case everywhere. Um, it's still a an illegal drug in, in a lot of states. Um, I'm grateful that's not the case where I live because it definitely it's something that definitely makes makes my life better and that gives more than it takes. I just feel like like quitting, quitting everything, you know, it wasn't about you know, detoxing or optimizing or even really like self-help in the standard understanding of that phrase. But it was just like about finding a place of honest acceptance about who I am and where I'm at in my life right now. That's not, you know, overly critical and overly negative at the same time, not trying to hold myself up as some like shining example, because, you know, I'm highly imperfect and always like struggling with and dancing with these different habits and addictions. But it just like got to a place where I can kind of be be real with myself about what I can mess with and what I can't mess with. And, and to think a little bit more deliberately about like, okay, what do I want the rest of my life to, to look like? Okay, I do have one final question. In my recent episode with Juliana Hatfield, she had mentioned how Frida and John Strum just knocked on her college dorm room one day, and that's how the Blake babies were born. I was curious why they knocked on Juliana's door in the first place. Well, for one thing, it was alcohol. <laughs> um, this, that I mean, that was that provided the bravery. Um, but John and I had been very aware of Juliana from a distance for many months. She was 
striking. I mean, she was just this like beautiful, super cool looking girl who she wore the same thing every day. It was so cool. She wore like a, a white t-shirt and blue jeans and these huge black Oxford shoes. She always had her hair up in a ponytail. And she, I mean, she just looked so cool. And as soon as I laid eyes on her, I just thought that I want to know her. And I think we heard through the grapevine that she was a singer and he and I just started talking, like, we've got to go to that girl's um, room and ask her to like, ask her to start a band. And, and then, yeah, one night we were just drunk enough to go to her door and knock on it and introduce ourselves and, and ask her on the spot if she wanted to, to join a band with us. So, I mean, we had literally never talked to her, never met her. It was pretty magical. Um, because we we clicked right away, and I think that that night she actually got out a guitar and played us a couple of songs that she'd written. A couple of which, I mean, I think they both became Blake Baby's songs. And you know, within a couple of weeks, we'd had our first band practice. We had a band's name. Yeah, it was a, it was a hugely pivotal moment, and really, um, I don't know, really very youthful and exuberant, and somehow felt quite faded as well. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much to Frida Love Smith for being on the show. Her new book, I Quit Everything, is available wherever you buy your books. I'll have a link in the show notes for it as well. And a quick reminder that you can also buy my book on 80s musicians and where they are today, 80s Redux, and its sequel, Live Through That, at the same place where you buy Frida's book. And if you like this show, please leave a review where you're listening. It always helps others to find us. And of course, subscribe so you'll know when the latest episode comes out, and share if you'd like. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.